Well, let me encourage you to have your Bible open in Matthew 14 as we come to one of the better-known events in the life and ministry of Jesus. And for those of us for whom this story is so familiar, the challenge is to find and to take fresh help, fresh instruction, fresh encouragement. But surely we believe that God's Word is so rich and His Spirit so able that He is able even in that quest that we have this morning, to do a great work amongst us and in our own understanding. The other Gospel writers provide a few extra details, which Matthew does not in his account of this event, but all of the essential nuts and bolts are included here in Matthew chapter 14. So as we come to what maybe is the best known of the parables, uh, the miracles that Jesus did Uh, Let's turn to God's Word. Well, I want you to look first of all at verse 13. Jesus wanted to be in in a deserted place by himself. And I want to speak to you first of all this morning about the blessing of solitude. The blessing of solitude. On hearing of the death of John the Baptist, Jesus has his disciples take him by boat to a place on the shore of Galilee where he can be on his own. We read on a number of occasions that Jesus took himself to be on his own. We know that there were times when Jesus would spend whole nights in prayer. In Luke chapter 6, before he would select his 12 apostles from amongst his group of disciples, Jesus spent all night alone in prayer before he did that. In Luke chapter 21, we're told that during the final week of his life in Jerusalem, Jesus would teach in the temple by day and then he would take himself off to the Mount of Olives and spend each night there alone. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus prayed alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did take some of his disciples to be close by, but then he went on further and chose a place of solitude. How many times when you read through the Psalms do you read of solitary prayer, communing with God, even through the night? Now I want to suggest this morning that there is a rich blessing to be found for Christian believers which probably none of us know as much as we should. And that is to be in a solitary place on your own with God. Now, gathering like this is also crucial, is also very special and this has a very special place in the life of the believer. But then in complete contrast in a way, there is the place of solitude with God. Do you remember the parable that Jesus told about the tax collector and the Pharisee praying? Do you remember the contrast that Jesus drew about where they prayed? It was the tax collector and he was the one who really did business with God. He was the one who we are told was standing afar off. 
though he was in the temple, he took himself off to be on his own within that building. And it was there in prayer that God had dealings with that man and accepted him. There were times when Jesus knew that he needed undivided, undistracted, unlimited time, as it were, on his own with his heavenly Father. Luke's Gospel record tells us that Jesus, uh, at this point, actually went over to Bethsaida, which is on the northeastern shore of Galilee. And the people follow after him on foot. Now, Galilee is a big lake. If you were to walk right around it, you'd have walked 33 miles. So it's going to take quite a while for that crowd to assemble. And so Jesus, as his custom often is, spends quite a few hours communing with his heavenly Father. John's life has just been taken. Jesus at this point knows it's about one more year and then he will be entering Jerusalem for the final time. Opposition is going to increase. Confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees will intensify significantly. And Matthew is going to record for us some of those confrontations that Jesus will have. And with all of those things weighing upon him, this vast crowd will soon arrive with all of their needs and when we get to chapter 17, we'll hear Jesus explain to his disciples that much earnest, prayerful preparation is often required for the ministry that he's doing. It doesn't just happen by magic. There is much on our Saviour's heart and mind. And remember, though he is God, he has a fully human nature, just like yours and mine. These things weigh heavily upon him. He doesn't just stroll through these things like they are nothing to him. What to do, how to cope, where to turn. Go aside, turn to your heavenly Father, seek from him and commune with him for the comfort and the wisdom and the strength and the grace and the assurance that you are in need of. Now, we live in an age when quiet solitude for many people has become something of a rarity. It is true, of course, that for the most part, we are communal beings, aren't we? We love company. We love the value and the benefit that we get from the company of others. Uh, the isolation of those recent lockdowns uh, demonstrated to many just how much we need those things and just how much we miss them when we don't have them. Uh, for many people, not having the, the hubbub and just the general buzz of the workplace, not being with colleagues, was a very significant thing. Uh, some didn't mind missing it at all, but many did. And, and how many workplaces or, or tradespeople labour away to the background noise of a radio station, sometimes blaring away. But for our spiritual good, Jesus demonstrates a principle that probably all of us need to take more seriously than we do. The place of quiet solitude in order that you may commune with your God and Father. Where you can seek his face, 
where you can cast all your burdens upon him. Uh, For many Christians, I guess, the thought of doing that for hours at a time might seem completely unrealistic. Uh, What on earth would I do? Uh, What would I pray about for all that time? Well, start a bit smaller than a couple of hours. How about 15 minutes? Do you even manage that in a normal day? 30 minutes. And not just to pray. Read your Bible. Use some daily reading notes if they help. Find one or two verses which stand out that you can just pause and meditate over for a while. Maybe even memorize them. Why do we leave memory verses just for the children in Holiday Bible Club? Why not memorize some yourself? Sing the words of a hymn or read them through or think them through in your own mind. Read a chapter of a good Christian book and then go back over it. Make a few notes, highlight a few things that, you've, that stand out to you. Make a schedule for your praying if that would help you. Praying for different people, different situations every day. But I'm so busy. Well, exactly. Isn't that the problem so often? Those things that you allow to be the priority instead of that. Those things you're not prepared to put into second place. Doesn't that perhaps maybe show itself sometimes in some of the spiritual struggles that we go through? Maybe the lack of spiritual progress that sometimes we make. Instead of, I don't have time to pray, I have to do this. Why not try, I don't have time for that because I have to pray. But it doesn't sound very exciting. We do live in an age when unless something gives you an instant hit, an instant buzz, something that sends a a tingle down your spine, something that doesn't require a lot of effort, well, I'm certainly not going to make time for something like that. But surely we see in Jesus something for us to learn, something for us to get hold of. There is a great blessing to be found. And as Jesus shows in his own ministry, there is great usefulness for God to be gained by spending time like this. Jesus makes it clear that much of the usefulness that he has in his ministry is down to times spent like this. And if you will make time, if you will learn to spend time in quiet solitude, perhaps you will discover actually that you can be much more useful to God too. Why did Jesus keep taking himself off like this? Well, it's because he knows God is to be found there in a way that he is found nowhere else. I can commune with my Father there in a way that I can't do it anywhere else. 
There is a special communion with God which cannot be rushed. It can't be served up in just a few minutes like a microwave meal. It's more like baking bread. You have to spend time mixing the right ingredients. You have to allow time for the yeast to do its work and for the dough to rise. You have to wait as the heat of the oven does its work. And then the golden dome of the loaf begins to rise. Then that glorious smell starts to waft through the kitchen. And then all the time spent, the waiting has been worth it. But it can't be done in a minute and a half in a microwave. It just doesn't work that way. And I think Jesus wants to show us there are things that you need to grapple with with the Lord and they take time. And it requires you to to come before your heavenly Father and show him you mean business here and you're not going away until that business is done. I'm sure that was in, in Christ's heart when he met with his Father on these occasions. Jesus shows that if you would walk closely with God your Father, you need to devote time spent with Him. Don't be surprised if He never feels that close to you. If you've never really taken time to draw near to Him. Time spent alone with your Heavenly Father, will never be wasted time. And then secondly, from verses 14 to 17, we see in the Lord Jesus a compassion that cannot do nothing. A compassion that cannot do nothing. You can picture the people walking along the shoreline of Galilee or perhaps maybe a little further away from the shore up on the higher ground, but all of them are doing the same thing. They're watching that boat that they know that Jesus is in. They're watching it track across the lake and they're trying to look ahead and see where it's going to make landfall. And off they go on foot round the shore. And the crowd's getting larger and larger. They're picking up new members as they pass through every village. Who are all you? Where are you going? quick explanation oh we'll join you and the crowds just getting bigger and bigger as they follow that boat in the distance was it the noise of them all that Jesus first noticed as they grew closer I don't know you can imagine a situation where someone who's been in such demand as Jesus has such an intense, personal, uh, at times, literally hands-on ministry that Jesus has amongst these people. You can maybe imagine, after all that Christ's been through recently, the news of John the Baptist, the last thing right now that he feels like is dealing with this vast crowd. Perhaps imagine their hearts sinking, realising all of the new demands that are going to be placed upon him with this number of people that are now approaching. But none of that in Jesus. 
He's just moved with compassion for them as they see them come. This is heartfelt ministry coming from Christ. This is genuine love. This is pity in the right sense of the word pity. This is a pity which feels their pain, feels their anguish, feels their despair, sees their need, longs to respond. This is a pity that is moved and motivated by a a desire to relieve suffering and to rescue from pain and torment. This is a compassion that will not allow Jesus to do nothing. It's a compassion which requires and drives him to respond. And I want to, I want to suggest there's, there's a very strong link between this second point and the first one we've just covered. Jesus knew what it was to be tired, to be discouraged, to be weary, to be fearful. The scriptures tell us he was tempted at all points, just as you are. And yet he displays this remarkable resilience in his ministry. He's able to lift himself and rouse himself in order that he may give of himself. And he does it again and again and again. And it's not done with a huge sigh of reluctance. It's done with this heart which is overflowing in compassion. In spite of his own need of rest, the needs of these people mean far more to him than his own convenience. And I think it's far too easy and actually inaccurate simply to say, well, yes, but he is God after all. Well, yes, he is God. And his compassion and mercy and loving kindness is that of God. But he is also flesh and blood like you and me. And he really does experience all of the weaknesses and weariness of what it is to be human. He's never anything less than God. That is true. But he's also never anything less than a man. As hard as those two things are for us to reconcile in our own thoughts. But you see, these times spent aside with his father are crucial in his ministry. How can he now come out and face this crowd once more, stirred up, filled with compassion, ready to minister? Well, it's because the place that he's just come from has been a place of strengthening and a place of refreshment. It's a place where he's been made ready to keep on keeping on in his ministry. It's there that his fellowship and his oneness with his Father has been rekindled. It's there that his focus and his commitment and his obedience to all that his Father has for him to do has been established afresh within his own soul. It's there that his compassion for these lost sheep of Israel is maintained because of this communion that he has with his heavenly Father. He comes out from where he's been spending time with his God. And guess what? Coming from that place, he's able to respond and he's able to love and he's able to react and he's able to minister. Don't expect that you can generate from within yourself or by yourself that which is needed in order that you might live and serve the Lord 
with the kind of zeal and obedience and attitude and integrity of heart that you know a Christian should have. That which you are able to do for the Lord with a true and proper sincerity of heart will have a direct correlation to your relationship with your Lord and Saviour. Time spent in prayer, time spent communing with your Father, it will never be lost time. And Jesus shows us in his life there are no shortcuts to this. And the inference here with the words in, in verse 15 when it was evening, and knowing as we do from verse 21 just how large this crowd is, well, the implication here is that he has spent a good number of hours dealing individually with so many people from this crowd. His only desire to show mercy and grace and to demonstrate through his power to heal that he is the one who is this promised Messiah, he is the one to whom you must turn, not just for your physical well-being, but for eternal spiritual life and health. As you sit here this morning, with this Jesus presented to you in the Bible open in front of you, nothing has changed. He continues to be this wonderful God and Saviour filled with compassion ready to receive all who will come to him, just as he does here in the story. And Jesus has a lesson in compassion to teach his disciples also. Evening draws near. It's clear to the crowd, uh, to the disciples, this crowd's been hanging around for a while now. Evening's drawing in. There's nowhere around here immediately available for them to get any kind of refreshment. You know, if, we, if it was Sefton Park by now, you know, the ice cream man and the burger van would have turned up, wouldn't they? But there's nothing. How are they going to refresh themselves? Where are they going to get something to eat? Jesus, you need to dismiss them so that they've got time to disperse into the surrounding villages and get something to eat. But they shouldn't need to do that, Jesus says to them. You feed them. It's the most remarkable thing to say, isn't it? They shouldn't need to do that. You feed them. Well, the disciples are just standing there in the clothes they're wearing. It's interesting, in John's account of this event... John tells us that Jesus did know what it was that he was going to do. But he says this to his disciples to test them. On a number of occasions throughout the Gospels, the disciples are far too quick to dismiss people and to send them away. You may recall when the children... Uh, tried to come to Jesus on one occasion. The disciples wanted to just shoo all the children away. He's not going to be interested in the likes of them. And Jesus says, hang on a minute. <laughs> you get those children to come to me. Well, the disciples here, well, they probably just want to take the easy way out, don't they? Send them away. Let these people look after themselves. 
I think many of us would have found that to be a perfectly reasonable suggestion. I suggest if any of us had been one of those 12 disciples, we'd have been nodding in agreement. Absolutely right. What on earth can we do with this crowd? And anyhow, Jesus, we've had a look around and all we've been able to find is five loaves and two fish. What could anyone do with that? Oh, what a question. What could anyone do with that? And actually, Jesus, you see, is teaching his disciples, well, they need to learn to care for people and minister people, minister to people. And you do that by looking to Christ and by looking to him to supply that which only he can give. And that's the lesson the disciples have missed. Jesus wants his disciples to understand that whenever you're faced with issues which are beyond your own resources, which will be often, they are not beyond the resources of heaven. And on the flip side to that, whenever you think that you've got this all on your own, you'll be in big trouble. Jesus wants his disciples to be filled with the same kind of compassion that he has for the crowd. Lord, what need they are in. We long to help them. But what can we do? And we're turning to you now. Show us what to do. We'll trust you to provide what is needed. That's what Jesus wants to hear from them. And then Jesus finally demonstrates the fullness of his supply. So Jesus corrects his disciples. He said, what do you have? Five loaves, two fish. That's enough for me. Bring them here. And we have the fullness of Christ's supply. Interestingly, this is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. Such, apparently, was the impact that it had. So important, is it? Well, we can't be certain, can we, just how many there are in this crowd. We're told plainly, 5,000 men besides the women and children. Mark tells us in his Gospel that all the people sat down in rows and they were put into groups of 50s and 100s. John records that the men sat down in number about 5,000. So if they're sitting in groups, 50s, 100s, that would make uh, a fairly quick head count reasonably accurate, wouldn't it? So we know the kind of figures that's put before us here, it's probably very close. But we can't be certain. What is clear? Well, there's a minimum count of 5,000, which is reliable. And then there's an unknown number of women and children. The grand total could be many thousands more. But even if the women and children only number a couple of hundred, that doesn't make this miracle any the less remarkable, does it? With five smallish loaves, two fish, once you've given out enough to satisfy in full the hunger of just 20 or 30 people, and the food is still flowing, eyes will begin to widen and eyes will begin to catch the gaze of their neighbour. What is going on here? 
Jesus wants to demonstrate the fullness of his supply. Everyone in that crowd ate to their fill. Everyone in that crowd was fully satisfied in what they'd been given to eat. And then the disciples, we can assume, one basket each, I suppose, can't we? They were able to go around and each fill their basket with all the leftovers. Jesus is able to multiply the supply of bread and fish. And he supplies more than is enough. And he wants us to see this important truth. He is the one who is able to supply in abundance for our every need. It was God who was able to supply manna to the whole nation of Israel and keep them sustained for decades in the wilderness. It was God through Elijah who provided a continuous supply of flour and oil for a widow. It was God through Elisha who was able to feed a hundred men with just 20 little loaves of barley and they had some left over. God, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, feeds 5,000 and more with bread. There is an abundant supply with God. Heaven's resources are without limit. Jesus will go on to say that he is the bread from heaven that your soul requires. And he will feed you abundantly, without limit. For each one who will come to Christ, they will receive mercy and they will receive grace without measure. How much can Jesus forgive me? How much can Jesus love me? How much can Jesus care for me if I turn to him from my sin and I trust in him as my saviour? He is faithful. He is just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all all unrighteousness. How can I be sure about this nature of Christ? Look at him dealing with this crowd. Ask, it will be given you. Seek, it will be found. Knock, it will be opened to you. How can I know that these promises are true? Look at your Saviour dealing with this crowd. God does not promise a get-rich-quick scheme for your bank balance. What he does promise is a be-rich-forever scheme for your soul. My God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus is the testimony and the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Yes, testify this crowd and the disciples. He can and he will. He provides in abundance. In the Lord Jesus alone, you will find that which brings full, lasting, unfailing rest and peace for your soul because he can. No matter how great your need, No matter how heavy your heart, no matter how weary your soul, no matter how burdensome your trial, no matter how deep your anxiety, 
no matter how overwhelming that deep ache within you that you just don't have the words to explain, the Lord Jesus has all sufficient grace and mercy to satisfy your every need. He is the bread of life upon whom your soul may feed and he will give and give and give and you will never hunger again. That is his promise. And just as that amazed crowd discovered as they sat waiting on the grass, as Jesus just keeps on giving and feeding and giving and feeding, because that is who he is, and that is his heart of compassion for worthless sinners like you and me. Oh, Christ in thee, my soul has found and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. I sighed for rest and happiness. I yearned for them, not thee. But while I passed my Saviour by, his love laid hold of me. Now, none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. You need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ to find in him that rest that your troubled soul yearns for and cannot find anywhere else. There's a food the soul needs. The soul needs it for fulfillment, for nourishment, for real life. And it's found only in Christ. And look again at this event as these thousands are fed till they can eat no more and 12 full baskets give testimony of Christ's abundant supply. Those whom Jesus feeds, he fills and they never hunger again. Let's pray. Our gracious God, our loving Father, our prayer is simply that we would see Jesus. Show us afresh, O Lord, the wonder, the compassion of our Saviour, who loves us, who gave himself for us, Help us each one, O Lord, to feed on him that we might be satisfied, that we might never go hungry in our soul again. O Lord, do this in your grace, in your mercy, for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.